0: open up your Bibles to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. I'm going to try not to trip over this uh, stool here that I'm not used to having here. And thank you Dwayne Fossum and Connor for joining the worship team this morning and leading us in song. What powerful songs. What powerful lyrics. As we get started and as you're turning John chapter 7 and you've got a few minutes I want to introduce this a little bit. I want to talk about it. I want to relate it to our life. You see doubt Uncertainty, disbelief, peer pressure, temptation, and even hatred. These things happen all around us or to us, within us, every single day. We hear about it, we see it, we experience it. But hopefully we do not always take part in it. Now let me repeat that once again. Doubt, uncertainty, disbelief, peer pressure, temptation, and hatred. They happen to us. They happen through us. They happen within us. Every single day, it's happening all around us. But hopefully, we do not always take part in it. I say always because some of those things can be good. Not all of it. Hatred, no. But I say always is sometimes peer pressure can be a good thing. As maybe it leads us away from harmful and sinful situations. Sometimes doubt or uncertainty or disbelief can also be a good thing. As it leads us to not simply follow the crowd into wrongful, sinful beliefs or actions. And maybe we think of our life here and we think about those situations in our life. Where we've given into things or we followed things that we ought not to. Or maybe we think about those times or maybe our friends, our family, or even the world around us who we're just following total stranger. Then it did lead in a good direction. Maybe it says you're at the airport and you come on. Does anybody really have 100 percent certainty where they're going at the airport or at least these big ones like Minneapolis or Atlanta or Miami? I think I sometimes follow the crowd there to hopefully get where I need to go. But in the scripture today that we're about to read, you see the opposite. We see an unhealthy peer pressure, an unhealthy skepticism and disbelief. In a great hostility and hatred to the Lord. In fact, we see that Jesus' his own brothers will mock him and try to tempt him away from his mission, away from God's plan and God's timetable for this plan. Praise the Lord, Jesus' brothers. Jesus' brothers will eventually rightfully believe and follow Jesus as Lord, but not for, not for another six months or more. But many others. They leave, and we see that happening around us today, too. Disciples of Christ, or at least those who claim to be disciples of Christ, every day. They leave because of uncertainty, because of doubt, and sometimes because of hatred for his will, for his mission, for his word, for his truth, for his righteous ways. When really, these are the ways that lead to everlasting life, and that lead to hope, and that lead lead to a better way of living. But they leave. They express great skepticism and hatred for Christ, and this leads to betrayal and murderous plotting. You see, I think as believers, as followers of Christ, we cannot help but hear this and see this in the word of God today. And that's why I want you to focus on today as we read the scripture in a few minutes. I want you to notice how we can't help but marvel at the spiritual stupidity of humanity. I read that in a commentary this past week, and I think this commentary was about 100 years old. Might have even been passed down from Pastor Elden Carlson, the great one up here. He may not be good, but he, he's got some good books. None are good. That's what I mean there. Right, Alden? As we read, we will marvel at the spiritual stupidity of humanity. They have the... The one true king. The one true God. They have the son of God. God incarnate right in front of them. And yet at the end of chapter 6. And now as we see more in chapter 7. There's a turning point in John's gospel. And Jesus' life. As they leave. And as his hatred grows. Sure there has always been people. Who doubted Jesus. There has always been people who maybe walked away. Or didn't turn their ear to him. Or didn't listen. Or didn't follow. In fact. If you remember earlier on, when John the Baptist was still around, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, we read that they sent representatives like spies to listen in to Jesus and to try and find something that they might might use against him. The people are turning away in groves now, though. They're doubting his claims. Intense hatred is not only forming, but growing and growing greatly. And from here, it will continue to only... Grow. In fact, from here, it grows and grows and grows to where roughly just about another six months away, crucifixion will be drawing near. Before you read, again, I want to remind you of that statement, marveling at the spiritual stupidity of humanity. Because after we get done reading, that will be my point one, I'll give it to you now. We're going to talk about the spiritual stupidity of humanity that we see in the scripture today. Before I read, I do want to start with just a little explanation, a little setup. You see, John here, he does not include many of the things between chapter 6 and chapter 7. Roughly, there's been roughly six months of time that might have passed here between the last Passover and now what we read is the festival of booths or the festival of tabernacles. Now, during this time, many things have happened. If we look to the other gospels who cover it very adequately – There's been healings, there's been miracles, there's been feeding of thousands, there's been casting out of demons, and we see in that six months' time, maybe more than anything else, it wasn't the healings and the miracles that took up most his time, it was the discipling of his followers. As one pastor said, I think it was Pastor John MacArthur's commentary, and I greatly agree with this, we ought to learn something from this. How much time do we spend discipling people around us? Now, I want to specifically point at ourselves as fathers and as mothers and as husbands and as wives and us as brothers and sisters in Christ as well. How much time do we spend discipling our children or discipling our spouses or discipling our friends, discipling our co-workers or even making disciples of the non-believers all around us. But we don't stop at making disciples. We disciple from there on to Teach them the ways of God. That's what we see Jesus does today too. Discipleship must be a priority in God's church, Christ's church, a priority for us all. But here in John's gospel, John focuses on proving and showing and illustrating the true identity of Christ, divine as it is, the Son of God. Let's read now as we see. Again, I want you to be looking for those ideas which maybe you think is just absurd. Spiritual stupidity of humanity. Let's read. Please follow along. Verse 1, it's on the screen as well. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of Booth was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, at first glance, that might sound good of his brothers be encouraging him, but it says here, for not even his brothers believe. I'm going to give you a little hint. That's one of those spiritual stupidity of humanity statements, one of those thoughts, one of those ideas. How is it that Jesus' own brothers don't believe in him? But it says in verse 6, as we continue reading, Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast. For my time has not yet fully come. After this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him amongst the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. Verse 14 now, if you're following along. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God. Or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me because, the sa- because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Speaking of the man at the well being healed. And you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and in him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Wrap up this reading in 32 to 36. It says the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, then said, I'll be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me, for where I am you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying you will seek me and you will not find me? And where am I? Where I am, you cannot come. The first thing I want to discuss today, as I already told you, is this. Marveling at the spiritual stupidity of humanity. And as I point this out, I want to draw your attention to your books in front of your Bibles. So don't take your fingers off that page. Don't close them. If you did, it's okay. But I just want to highlight some. Before we get there, I want to say there is a lot to marvel at here. In fact, most of this message this morning will be focused on this. And then we'll have three applications from the scripture for us as well. Here we have Jesus, the same Jesus whom we read in John 1, 9 to 11 says, the true light. Jesus is the true light, and this true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. We see this very verse coming to life right in front of us. Jesus is here, yet they don't know him. They're not coming to him. They don't want him. Instead, this hatred will grow. Their persecution will grow. Their skepticism will grow. Their doubt will grow. It all will grow. Here in front of them is the light of the world, the Savior, the Son of God, God incarnate. And that they do not accept him. I marvel, and I think you can marvel at these statements, these ideas too, at the stupidity, the spiritual stupidity of humanity. And then in verse 1, as we look to the scripture today, it says, The Jews were seeking to kill him. The very people which were supposedly anxiously anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. And they were seeking to kill him. We marvel at the spiritual stupidity of humanity. And then we see in verse 2, the Jews are celebrating the festival of booths or tabernacles. A festival which remembers God's provision in the wilderness. As they create these little booths on the rooftops around town made of sticks, made of branches. To remember God's provision in the wilderness. When they didn't have this city, they didn't have this town. They had makeshift homes. Well, here is here is God's continued provision. The Messiah. And they don't accept him. They seek to kill him. You see, I marvel at this idea. But then I marvel at us, too. How often do we have spiritual stupidity as God's trying to provide for us the truth in righteous ways, rightful ways to live? Yet we turn it away. We say we're anxiously awaiting God's provisions, yet God's trying to provide, and we don't listen. We don't look to him. We don't accept him. Instead, we deny him. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm speaking in general, of course. But as we read on, I continue to marvel as I see verse 3 and 4, that his own brothers, Jesus' brothers, not speaking about just brothers and sisters in Christ and using that term loosely, although we can, but here we see Jesus' own brothers try to give Christ, the Son of God, advice. And I quote, No one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. This is one of those other spiritual stupidities, if you ask me, because as if Jesus had not done enough works, enough signs, enough miracles to prove his divinity, as if he had not been already working openly. That is the very reason why he's saying it is not yet my time. We just read of him feeding 15 to 20,000 people. We just heard that in Matthew and the other gospels, we hear Jesus has been going around healing people, casting out demons. And doing other miracles. Yet his brothers say, no, go, go, why? Verse 12 now, we marvel some more together at the spiritual stupidity of humanity. As the people present are muttering amongst themselves. Muttering, unlike many people today, mutter too. Some say Jesus is a good man. Others say he's leading people astray. Both of these comments are wrong. It's not that Jesus is not a good man, but he's so much more. Both are wrong, or at least they're misunderstood. Jesus is not simply a good man. He's definitely not leading people astray. In fact, he's leading people along the narrow path. He's not simply a good man. He's the one and only Son of God, equal and divine, perfect and sinless. The only way to salvation from sin and the way to peace, restoration with the Father. And then we read that people think he's demon possessed. Really? Need we marvel more at the spiritual stupidity of humanity? I think not. As I wrap up this idea of marveling at this spiritual stupidity, I want to move on to point one. You see, despite all this great and terrible stupidity, We can marvel at all. We can also marvel at these great illustrations we see in Christ's life. Number one being this. Jesus follows God's divine timetable. Jesus follows God's divine timetable. And we too must follow God's timetable. Continue to seek his guidance and wisdom. Do not grow weary and impatient. Do not turn away from him. You see, in Jesus' life, as well as our own, our Father's timing is just as important as his will. And as one pastor states, many stumble because they sense they know God's will, but they move ahead of his timing. And he says this is a sure recipe for frustration. That's interesting to think about as we think we know God's will, but we just rush into it. Well, maybe it's not the right time. Jesus, he waits. Jesus does not go to Judea with his brothers. And it wasn't a lack of courage that kept Jesus in Galilee here and now. It was exactly what Jesus said. It was not yet the time. That doesn't mean that later on it wasn't the time. In fact, we see that Jesus does go later on. And as Jesus goes later, it wasn't that Jesus all of a sudden changes his mind. It wasn't that he was lying to his brothers just to be able to sneak out another way. It was for a purpose. And I wrote down two purposes it might have been. One, or A, possibly God now gave him further instructions and said, now go. Or B, and I think the more plausible explanation, but not that they're both related. Jesus did not want to go with his brothers because it was not the right time. Now let's talk about that a little bit. As his brothers left to go to Judea, there would have been a caravan of people most likely. There would have been this huge commotion coming into town. All of the males were supposed to come into town for the celebration of harvest in remembrance of God's provision. And with this caravan of people returning to Judea for this festival, Jesus would also have all eyes upon him. Of which it was not the right time for. One commentator states, I agree, all of this was not the right time because if he came with the crowd, it could have led to a premature triumphal entry. Or a premature crowning as king, or maybe a third, a premature crucifixion. But this does not change the fact that Christ did come. Let's go to point two. Jesus follows God's desires. He does not give in to peer pressure, but he is willing to follow God when it is the right time. God's desire, God's plan for him not to go and catch the eye of many at the time, And although his very own family would try to mock him, try and convince him, try to pressure him into doing something he was not right, rightfully to do, he would not give in. We don't know why they tried to pressure him. We could say that maybe they wanted just to hear him proclaim from the rooftops again that he was the son of God. Maybe they wanted to see him killed. Some say maybe his brothers were trying to set him up because they knew what the Jews wanted. Or some say maybe they just wanted to see him go in and do public miracles and works and signs more that maybe they would finally come to believe. We don't know the reason, but we do see that Jesus sticks to God's plan. Jesus seeks to please the Father, not even his own brother's plan above the Father's plan. We too must stick to our guns. We must stick to God's desires for our life. Do not give in to the will of those around us, even as seemingly well intended or from those close to us, unless it fits with God's desires for our life. That's hard to hear because we all want to please our moms, our dads, our brothers, our sisters. We want to please those good friends. We want to please our bosses. We want to please those around us. But we must always be comparing it to God's word and righteous ways of living. All else is secondary. His desires for a life alone are the ones which truly matter and always should come as first priority. Number three, moving on, Jesus teaches and lives in truth and righteousness despite the hostility and hatred of many. As if it was not enough for his own brothers to be mocking him, try try to tempt him to leave God's timetable, God's planning, now Jesus does go. Continuing to follow God's direction, the Father's direction, the Father's plan. And there's great hostility all around him. All these spiritual stupidity type comments and statements. And as I thought about this, I thought, is it that much different from today? You see, it sounds familiar. But Jesus still teaches the truth and he lives righteously despite the hostility all around him. And we must, too. You see. We, too, must continue to teach the truth and the righteousness of the gospel of Christ and godly living, even when it seems all hostile around us, even when people don't like what we have to say. But here's the point, or one point. This must not simply be in thought. Too often we think what's happening around us is not the right way to live, but we don't speak up or we don't live around them and allow our lives to be examples to them. Jesus was hated by the world because his righteous life and righteous teaching condemned their evil ways. Jesus was gentle and kind, but he was also straightforward about sin, and they would hate him for it. The same is still true today. They will hate Christ. They will hate Christ's message, and they will hate us when we preach a message that they don't want to hear. Yet we are still to speak the truth in love. But regardless of how loving you are, we must know that some people do not want to hear it. Because people don't like hearing that they're wrong. And people don't like hearing that they need to change their ways. They're either going to repent or they're going to hate us. But it doesn't change the fact that we must still serve him, teach his ways, and live according to such. People who like their sin do not want to be told that it is evil and brings about God's condemnation, but we must still tell them the truth, because is not that the most loving thing to do? Of course, this brings up a good point. I believe I've got a slide for this. If the world does not hate you, perhaps you should ask yourself why. I've said this before. Are you living righteously enough to have those in the world even Question for us today. Or are you, as one pastor stated, a spiritual schizophrenic who lives one way among Christians and another way among non-Christians? It's a powerful illustration. I want you to think about that for a moment. Schizophrenia is an illness which affects people's minds to where they often seem to act differently. I mean, they may act one moment, one second, and another moment, a totally Uh, another moment later, they act like a totally different person. How do we act? How do we act? Speaking of feeling like the world is against us, we especially notice this when we are teaching and speaking and living in the righteous ways of God. And I wrote down within marriage and within our children. We must not stop, never stop fighting and honoring marriage as a sacred institution. Sacred one of which is meant to not be taken lightly, one of which is only meant to be between man and woman. Similarly, the world may seemingly be against us when we hold all life as sacred. But that doesn't mean that we fold. It means we continue to proclaim that all life is sacred and we fight for the unborn and the born alike. All life is beautiful and to be valued and for. The world was hostile to Christ, and it will be to us too. God's word tells us this. Don't deny it. Don't hide from it. Yes, marvel at it, but don't let it sway you from following him. Just as Jesus, being the light of the world, sheds light upon the world's sinful, wrongful ways, us living in Christ's light will also shed light onto their ways. That's a good thing. Let your life convict them. Let your life show them the rightful way to live. I beg you, never be one of those people making those spiritual stupidity of humanity type comments. Honor Christ as Lord. Honor Christ as the Son of God. But then as you see how Christ's light illuminates the sinful darkness of the world, I want you to also see that Christ's light also illuminates it reveals his great That the worst sinner on the worst day of his life can still come to know Christ as Lord. He can repent. He can turn away from sin and accept His invitation and bring forth forgiveness in new life. Let's marvel at Christ. Above all else, marvel at God's majesty in His great gift to us—gift to us—in sending Jesus, a Savior. Never allow the seemingly spiritual stupidity of humanity to become an excusable reason to not teach and live out the truth and righteousness of God. I wish I would have wrote that on the board, but this is what I close with, so I'm going to repeat it for you. Never allow the seemingly spiritual stupidity of humanity to become an excusable reason to not teach and live out the truth and righteousness of God. never allow the seemingly spiritual stupidity of humanity to become an excusable reason to not teach and live out the truth and righteousness of God. God has a right way to live. Let's live that way, teach that way, and take comfort, no matter the hostility around us, that our lives are pleasing and glorifying to the Lord. Again, Christ had great hostility happening all around him, but he took pleasure in knowing that he living out God's plan and we can too God's plan that's what matters most glorifying him live for God's timetable live for God's will live for God's ways his desires and to please him we'll close in prayer and song now thank you for following along Lord we thank you for your word and we thank you for how it it shows us truth we thank you for although yes Christ's light does reveal sinfulness and the darkness and the struggles of humanity. We thank you that your word in Christ's light also reveals a redeeming love. It reveals that redemption is possible. Forgiveness is possible. A restoration with you in heaven is possible. And to be able to have a hope at new life, eternal life, everlasting life with you in your heaven, and your future earth, your kingdom. Is possible. May we live for that. May we glorify you. May we always look at your timetable. Your plan. Your will. And your desires. And not give in to peer pressure. Unless it's good, healthy. And for your and for your glory. And despite any hostility around us. May we continue to preach and teach. And live in your truth and righteous ways. And all God's people said. Amen. Please stand and let's close in song. Join us as we sing this great anthem.